Well, hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us online today. I know it's it's a cold day and you're inside and so we're praying for you. We look forward to seeing you again uh, next Sunday, but enjoy your Valentine's Day inside. Keep warm, keep safe. And we're going to do what we do all the time and that is just jump right in to God's Word. So if you've got a Bible, get that Bible open to Matthew chapter 22. That's where we're going to be today. And while you're turning there, let me just start off with a question, all right? Now, this is a rhetorical question. You don't need to turn to the person next to you and answer it, but just think about it, okay? Here it is. What is the most important thing in life? What's the most important thing to you? You know, in 2018, the New York Times actually surveyed 2,000 Americans and they asked that very question. What is the most important thing? And they got a variety of answers. 3% said that politics was the most important thing. I mean, that's terrible, isn't it? Poor people, right? 3% said politics, the most important thing in life. 7% said that it was their nationality or their patriotism, the country that they're from, was most important. Another 7% said that it was their family that was the most important thing. But, but 39%, 39% said more than anything else, it was their relationships. Their relationships with their family, their friends, the people in their life. That was what was the most important thing. Now, how do you think Jesus would answer that question? How would he answer the question, what's the most important thing? Well, we're going to look at how Jesus answered that question and, and how he answers it has tremendous implications for your life and for my life today. So let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 22 is where we're going to be landing today. Now, let me just kind of frame up what you're going to read, okay? The, the scenario we're looking into today is really in the very last week of Jesus' life. Actually, the very last days of Jesus' life. The, the, the cheer of the crowd from the triumphal entry as Jesus came into Jerusalem on that final week have long since faded and given way to the conflict and accusations of the religious leaders against Jesus. In fact, if you look at Matthew 22, beginning of verse 34, we kind of pick up on that. It says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. Now stop right there for just a minute. The Pharisees, who are these people? The Pharisees were the legal experts, right? They knew the law of Moses, so they were legal experts in the law. The Sadducees were really the more regal elites. They were of the priestly line. They were the ones that were running the temple business. And so these were people that were antagonistic toward Jesus. There was actually a third group called the Herodians who were really uh, political loyalists uh, to the, the, the house of King Herod. But all these three groups were coming against Jesus. I mean, they were attacking Jesus, trying to get him to say something wrong, trying to find some way to accuse him, even to put him to death. I mean, it was, it was like a bad tag team wrestling match, all right, where one would come and Jesus would answer them, and then another one would come and Jesus would answer them. Every one of them left with their head hanging down. But they were attacking Jesus. Now you say, why is that? Why were they so... Uh, 
hateful against Jesus. Well, listen, they were intimidated by him. They were intimidated by his popularity. They were incensed by his boldness that he called them out on their hypocrisy. And so they just wanted him gone. They wanted him out of the picture. And so what we're about to read is an occasion where a lawyer, another one of those Pharisees, comes to Jesus with a question and embedded in Jesus' answer is what we're looking for of what really matters most. So let's look at it. Uh, Matthew 22, let's pick up at verse 35. This is the word of God. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Now, I want you to get your pen out. And I want you to circle in your Bible the word love that's right there, verse 34, and then again in verse 39. And then I want you to underline the phrase most important in verse 37. You see that? This lawyer comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what's the greatest command? What he really is saying is, what does God expect from us? What does God want from us? What's the most important thing in life? And Jesus answered that question with one word, love. You see, what Jesus is really saying is that love matters most. Love matters more than anything. That's what God is looking for in you and in me. Really what Jesus said that day was echoed by the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about the importance of love. Now listen, if you've ever been to a wedding, you probably heard some snippets of 1 Corinthians 13. It's called the love chapter, right? And many times we get into the description of love, but I want you to back up where he really talks about the importance of love. Listen to these words. He said, if I speak human or angelic tongues, but then I have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and all knowledge, and I, if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I mean, what Paul is saying is that love matters more than anything. Love matters most. And then he goes into what it, what it matters more than. For example, he says, love matters more than what I say. He said, if I speak with the tongues of angels, if I, if I can wow a crowd, if I can inspire the masses, if I have this perfect language that, that moves, moves everybody that hears me, but I don't have love, then it just simply doesn't matter. I'm noise. Nothing more. He said, love matters more than what I know. He said, I can have a, a wall full of PhDs. I can be the smartest one in the, in the room. I, I can be the best in my field, the best in class. But if I don't have love, then it doesn't matter. 
He says, uh, love matters more uh, really than, than, than even what I believe. He said, if I have faith that can move mountains, if I have so much faith in God that, I, that, that there are miracles that happen, or if I, I have all my theology right and I, I've got uh, everything dialed in, I know my Bible front and back, chapter and verse, but I don't have love, then it's meaningless. Then he says, love matters more than even what I accomplish in life. He said, if I give all my possessions to God, if I even die a martyr's death, if I accomplish great things in life, and I've got an awesome resume, but I don't have love, then I've wasted my life. I want you to understand what Paul was saying. He was saying that love matters most. You know, I think we know this instinctively. I, 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 I am often with people in the last moments of their life. It's part of the job. And you know what? In those last moments of life, I've never heard somebody say, uh, bring me my laptop. I need to just do a little bit more work, all right, before I die, right? I've never had somebody say, hand me my phone if I just want to like a few more posts or scroll on my Instagram just one more time. I've never heard anybody say that. But you know what I have heard them say? Bring me my family. Bring me my friends. Why do they say that? Because they know that at the end of their days that what really matters most is love. Now listen, we know this instinctively in our last moments, but we often forget it in the little moments of life. We forget what really matters most. And I think that's why the Apostle Paul is writing these words. He's warning us. He's saying, listen, you can be so successful. You can have the biggest house. You can, you can have a, an awesome paycheck. You can be at the top of your game. You can accomplish so many things. But if love is not the center of your life, then you will have all of that, but you will have an empty soul. So when that lawyer came to Jesus and said, what really matters most? Jesus said, you know what? Love is what matters most. Love is what's most important. So what do we do? How do we express this kind of love? I mean, if love really matters most, then who do we direct our love toward? And so Jesus tells us that. And I want you to check it out. Look at what he says. He says, Love God first. I love that. He said, love God first. Look at verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. He said, love God first. You know, this, this statement, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, heart, soul, mind, and strength, this is not original with Jesus. In fact, Jesus is quoting uh, a verse that really originates in Deuteronomy chapter 6. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That statement is repeated nine times in the Bible. Now listen, when God says something once, it's really important. If he says it twice, you better really pay attention. If he says something nine times, he's driving it home. Love the Lord your God first. 
In fact, these words were the very first words that were ever whispered into the ear of a newborn uh, Hebrew baby. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It would be the first words that they would ever learn to repeat. It would be the first verse that they ever memorized. The first words they ever write with a pen. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These very words would be rolled up in paper and put in little boxes they wore on their foreheads called phylacteries. They would put them on these leather straps that they wrapped around their arms. They would roll these little, that verse up in a little piece of paper and put it in a little tube called a mezuzah and they would put it on the doorframe of their house and when they came in their house, they would touch it. When they left their house, they would touch it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It was the most important command to love God. Love him with all your heart. That's the core of your identity, the core of who you are, the core of your personality, right? Love the Lord your God with all your soul. That is your emotions and your feelings. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, your thought, your reason, the, the, the place where you make your decisions in life. Love God first. Let me ask you something. Do you love God first like that? I remember when I was uh, just about to graduate from college and I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Well, I, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. I, I had taken the LSAT, I'd, I'd gotten accepted into law school, but, but I was wrestling with this call to ministry. And so I, it was on a Sunday night in a small church. I bet you there weren't more than 150 people in the room. And I was wrestling with God. God, what do you want me to do? God, and the preacher was preaching a message, but I wasn't listening. I, I was just seeking God so desperately. God, I need to hear from you. God, what do you want me to do in my life? And I can remember as sure as I'm talking to you right now, how God spoke to me that night. As if he was sitting right next to me, I heard these words in my mind. Craig, do you love me? And I can remember my response to him saying, Lord, you know I love you. Lord, you know I, I will do whatever you want me to do. God, you know I love you. And then the words came to me just like those words had come to Peter in John chapter 21. He said, if you love me, then feed my sheep. And I knew in that moment that God had called me to be a pastor, to feed his sheep, to, to lead his people, to invest my life it was a moment I'll never forget. It was a, it was a pivotal moment, a, an important moment in my life. But you know what? I've had many times in my life since then when Jesus has continued to ask me that question. Craig, do you love me? I mean, do you really love me more than all these other things? I, and I found that throughout my life, I've had to come to an answer to that question. God, I love you more than anything. More than anything. Listen, when, when you love God first, it really starts in salvation. It starts with you saying, Lord, I want to love you. I want to know you. I want to walk with you all the days of my life. It starts in salvation. But I'm telling you that as you walk this Christian walk, that many times loving God has to be refreshed in our life. We have to say, God, I love you enough to stay where you plant me. I love you enough to leave even something that's comfortable. God, I love you enough to say no to some things in my life that I really want in my flesh, but I love you enough to say yes to the things that are best 
in, in my life that you have for me. God, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Do you love him like that? I mean, really, think about it. Do you love him? Is your relationship with him real and deep? It, it, or is it just like, yeah, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. Yeah, my dad was a, a deacon. My mom singing the choir. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I believe in God. Yeah, I love God. No, no, no. I'm saying, do you love him? Do you love him with all your being? Do you love him enough that if all your family said, we don't love Jesus anymore, that you would say, that I can't walk with you because I love him. Would you be willing to, to do whatever he told you to do regardless of what it costs you? Do you love him like that? Do you really love him with all that you are? Is he the most important thing in your life? Listen, that's really where it starts. Jesus said love is what matters most. And the first thing you need to do is love God. To love him first. And love him the greatest. But then Jesus takes it to another level. In fact, he didn't have to add this part, but he does. He said not only are you to love God first, but you're also to love people well. To love people well. Look at verse 39. The second is like it, he said. Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, only when you love God first can you really truly love people well. You understand that? Only when you love God first can you then really love people in your life well. You know, in, in some ways it's easy to love God, right? I mean, he's perfect, right? And, and he's, he's faithful and he's good and he loves you. I mean, it's easy to love God, but Sometimes it's hard to love people, isn't it? It's hard to love people. People are not perfect and they, they aren't always faithful and sometimes they hurt you. And he said, listen though, if you put me first, if you love God first, then I will empower you to love the people in your life, even the people that are hard to love. Dale and Gina first met in church. They grew up in church. Uh, had, had known the Lord uh, as, even from their childhood. Uh, first time they met, Gina was up in the choir loft when Dale came to church that day and he spotted her out. He even made a point uh, before the service started to walk up kind of close to the platform and catch her eye and wave at her. <laughs> she kind of thought that was a little creepy. You know, who is this guy, you know, waving at me, you know? But then she thought, but he is kind of cute, you know? So that first initial reaction, you know, led to dating. And then before long, they were in love. They got married. Everything was as it should be in their life. Pretty soon, uh, babies came. Life began to get fast and busy and hectic and crazy. Before long, their love just kind of began to grow cold and distant. And then it began to become contentious and intense at home. Sometimes the arguments would be very heated and, and very hurtful. Finally, at one point, they had a, a big, big argument and, and, and Dale went into the bedroom and he pulled out a, a suitcase and he started putting all of her stuff in the suitcase. She said, what are you doing? And he turned around and he said, listen, I'm leaving to go to the golf course. I'm taking our, our, our son Cole with me. And, and when I get back, you need to be gone. We are done. Gina said, I'll never forget as they got in the car and he was driving off and my son Cole was 
nine years old at the time, was waving goodbye to me out the back window. She said, I'll never forget that. Before long, they were both staying in front of a judge, both wanting full custody of the children. That would require a trial. Both attorneys said, you got to go home. If, if you leave the house, then you'll look like you're abandoning the family. So they, they stayed in that house for over a year while they were waiting for their trial. And they said it was the most toxic environment you could imagine. So much hatred, so much resentment. I mean, they would re literally wear recording devices, try to get the other person to say something they could use against them in court. They were hiring private detectives to stir up dirt on the other person to try to use it against them. And then finally, when the trial came, it was a parade of family members and friends that were all testifying against the other. Lies, deception, hurt, pain. And then after it was all said and done, the judge gave them joint custody. And so now they were shuttling the kids back and forth every weekend and tearing the family apart. But in that very dark place, God began to work in their hearts. God began to say to them, hey, you've lost your first love. Finally, Gina called up Dale one day and and the Holy Spirit just moved in her and she said, Dale, what are we doing? What have we done? Dale, come home and let's put this family together again. And in that moment, he said, just tears began to pour down his cheeks and over the phone, just all that time of all that hurt, all that resentment, all that frustration, it just released a flood of tears. In minutes, he was at their front door and embracing Gina again. They had lost their love for God and they had lost their love for each other. And he looked at her that day and he said, Gina, I don't know how to put this back together, but I know God does. And so over the course of several months of repentance and brokenness and confession to God, God began to renew their heart for God again. And then through counseling and work, God began to heal the rifts and the pain in their own marriage and brought them back together and, and they remarried. And not only did they remarry and God healed their marriage, but God is now using Dale and Gina all across the country for the last 15 years or more to share their story of how God can redeem any relationship, that it's never too late. Now, the reason why I tell you this story is this. Listen, when your love for God comes first, then he will empower you to love the people in your life. He will change you. You may have a heart of stone right now. You may have a lot of hurt built up. You may have a lot of struggle going on on the inside of you. You say, Craig, you don't understand what this person has done to me. You don't understand what's happened in my life. You don't understand the hell that I've been living through. But listen, what I want you to know is when you love God first, that God can resurrect a love in your life that you thought was long since dead. He can do it. He can give you a love for your husband that you didn't know that you had a love for your wife, a love for your children, a love for that person in the office that keeps coming against you, a love for that, that, that student at, at, at school that keeps running you down. He can, he can resurrect a love that was dead if you let him. 
See, Jesus said what really matters most is, he, is love. Love is what matters most. And when you've lost that love, that he can even fan into flame that love again, the love for God first and love for others. You may say, well, Craig, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's probably too late for me. Then if that's the case, then let me just give you a couple of things to think about on this Valentine's Day about how you can awaken love in your own life and in your own heart. First thing you need to do is you need to respond to God's love. Listen, you're never gonna love other people in your life until you first respond to the love that God has for you. Do you have any idea how much God loves you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, listen, shall not perish but have eternal life. That God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to pay for your sin. That's how much he loves you. In Romans chapter 8, it says that nothing can separate us from the love of God, right? Not, not death or nakedness or the sword, not, not angelic uh, or demonic attacks. Nothing can ever separate you from the love of God. The psalmist says as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how much your father loves you. And listen, you may say, I don't feel God's love. But listen, you have to know that it's true, that God loves you. Hey, maybe there's just some resentment and some hurt. Maybe there's some pain in your life that you've been holding on to and it's just sucked all the love out of your life. Then respond to God's love. In fact, in just a minute, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do just that. But you've gotta to respond to God's love before you can ever share it with others. Second thing you need to do is just remember God's love. Remember how much he loves you. First John says, we love him because he first loved us. And what that simply means is that the way that I increase my love for God and I increase my love for other people is I remember how much God really does love me. And not just to remember it occasionally, but remind yourself every day. In fact, if you're struggling with love for God, love for others, then it may be great to put that verse uh, post it up in your home or post it in your car. Put it somewhere where you see it all the time that you remind yourself, listen, this is how much God loves you. And as you reflect on God's love for you, then you can, then you can share it with other people. And then the last thing is simply this. Ask yourself, how can I reflect God's love for the people in my life? See, we're called to be a mirror that brightly reflects the love of God. You're to, you're to be a mirror that reflects God's love for, for your wife, God's love for your husband, God's love for your children, God's love for even that wayward person at the office that you don't even want to love. Listen, God loves them. And he wants you to be a reflection of that love to them. So how can you do that? Not just in words, but how can you do it in actions? How can you act in such a way that they know that there's a God in heaven who loves them? Listen, on this day that we celebrate love, Jesus said, you know what's most important? The most important thing in life is love. Love is what matters most. And when you love God first, and when you love people well in your life, then you're changed. You become a different person. And you change the people in your life. And God gets all the glory. 
So do you know him like that? Do you love him like that? I wanna give you an opportunity to really turn your heart toward the love of God today. Would you just bow your heads with me for just a minute? Just right where you are, you may be sitting on your couch, sitting on the edge of your bed, sitting in your car, but just think about this. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die on a cross for you. This is really the good news of the Bible, that when we were wayward and wicked and sinful and deserving judgment, that God sent Jesus and Jesus came to reveal God's love to you, but he also came to show God's love for you. And he did that on the cross. The Bible said, God demonstrated his love for you in this while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. Listen, he loved you that much that when Jesus died on the cross, all of your sin was put on the back of Jesus and he died in your place. That's how much he loves you. That he died that day, he was buried. And three days later, he rose again from the dead, conquering sin and death. And right now he offers you a new chance, a new heart. He wants to take out a heart of stone, a heart of resentment, a heart of bitterness, a heart of pain, and put in you a heart that beats for him and a heart that loves people. You say, well, Craig, how do you do that? Well, you just respond to him in faith. You just ask him, say, God, I I don't want this hard heart anymore. I want you to come into my life and forgive me and make me new and give me your heart. And if that's something you want, then I want to pray with you that simple prayer and you can receive Christ right where you are. God will hear your prayer right as you're sitting there. God will respond to you. So I want you to bow your heads with me. And and if God's tugging at your heart right now, then I want you to pray the simple prayer with me. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. And I know I've gone my own way. But I believe that you died on a cross for me. And I believe you rose again from the dead. And I really do believe that you love me. And so I want to, I want to love you back. Today, I turn from my sinfulness. I turn from my resentment. I turn from my bitterness. I turn from my hurt. I turn from my past. And I turn to follow you, Jesus. Wash me clean. Make me a new person. Fill me with your spirit. Today, I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Now, listen, just with your heads bowed, you may be a Christian. You may have given your life to Christ, but the love for God has grown cold. The love for people in your life has grown cold. Then right where you're seated, why don't you just ask God to resurrect it again? Say, God, fill me with a heart of love for my husband, for my wife, a heart of love for my friends, for my family. Lord, fill me with love for even people that don't love you. Why don't you ask him that? Father, I thank you that your love for us never fails. Lord, we sang at the beginning of this service, how great is your love for us. Lord, we can't really fathom how much you love us. But you showed it through Jesus. And so, Lord, we want to live out a life of love. Lord, we, we, we don't want to waste our time pursuing other things and miss the most important thing. And so, Lord, help us to love you first 
with all that we are and to love the people you bring into our life in a way that reflects you to them. Lord, forgive us where we fail you. Lord, fill us with your spirit. And Lord, I pray that that you will be exalted and glorified in all that we do, in all that we say. And we pray this in Jesus' name.